Hey everyone, welcome back to AWM Insights. It is your power to this week. It's Eric and Brandon. Our CFA is out on vacation. And so uh, we'll do our best to cut through the noise this week of what Wall Street is selling you to bring you the knowledge, skills, and access that you need to invest like a pro. And so today we're going to tackle the topic of the illiquidity premium. And what I mean by that is, is we talk so much on this podcast about accessing higher returns in the private markets. And we just want to dive into one of the big components of why an investor should demand such a higher return than the public markets. But before we jump into that, we are taping this on Friday, July 9th, before heading into the All-Star Weekend. For so many of our listeners know, uh, we have a huge passion for baseball, and uh, we have seven players that are in the All-Star game this weekend. And so Brandon and I will be in Denver celebrating with them. And then one other piece of news is just interesting times it's Friday, all-time highs in the markets continue to go, even with fears of inflation. And so I think just once again, understanding of how difficult it is to time markets that no matter what some fears are going on in the day-to-day -day news, we're still seeing the markets at all-time highs. And so, Brandon, with that, let's jump into this conversation where I would love to start it we know so many people love the asset class of real estate right now, given what's going on in the markets or, you know, this, this boom around venture capital, private equity. And we talk a lot about demanding higher returns. Can you explain what the illiquidity premium is and just jump off from there? Yeah, Eric. So the illiquidity premium, I'll put my uh, my Justin hat on, try to go CIO here. Uh, I try not to get too technical. Uh, but at the end of the day, the illiquidity premium really is you being compensated for tying up your money uh, in a most simple way. And so that illiquidity premium applies to asset classes, like you mentioned, Eric, of real estate or private equity or venture capital. And really the purpose here is that this is an these are asset classes that uh, typically require more patient capital that require access to capital that uh, can't be pulled uh, very quickly. And because of that, you're able to build companies or work on a real estate project uh, and allow for a longer lead time. So, you know, oftentimes uh, this illiquidity uh, gets a negative rap. Uh, but really, when we look at it, it's really a great thing so long as you're being compensated for it. And so, you know, I think a real good understanding of it, understanding that you should be compensated for it is where you start. So whether you're an intro investor really looking at the real estate side and saying, hey, I want to go buy this property. I want to do X, Y and Z. Um, I want to take it out of the market you know, you, you should accept a higher rate of return or expect a higher rate of return for, you know, taking on that additional risk. And basically what the risk is, is that, um, you know, something happens in your life and you need that money. You can't turn around and sell a building uh, in, you know, maybe in 30 days, but that's not going to be a very advantageous sale. Um, but it's much more difficult to actually liquid, you know, liquefy, take your money out of that project. Uh, same goes with the private equity and venture capital side. You need to, uh, the reason why you have higher expected returns partly in that asset class is because, you know, it takes a long time to build companies. The life cycle of these companies, you start 
you know, at the seed stage and you go to series A and we have all these levels. Well, that's because it takes a while to build companies, right? And our exit most likely is either an acquisition from another company or going public. And that just takes time. So as an investor, you're willing to forego your money over that period of time. And for doing so, you expect a higher return. And something I think that gets missed a lot of times when it comes to how we deploy capital to your point is this illiquidity gets gets demonized right as if it's if it's this horrible thing but when we look at very wealthy families multi-generational families or institutional investors endowments when you have a long, long time horizon, a lot of times it is these private markets that are going to produce the best returns. And it's this redefinition of what risk is really married to when you need that capital. And so to your point, hearing that, you know, if you deploy capital into venture, uh, deploy money into venture capital, it, it may be tied up for 10 to 12 years, but with some of the families that we work with that have this multi-generational time frame, they actually get to outperform other people and rewarded for that, uh, you know, tying their money up. And then one other thing I'd love for you to hit on that doesn't get talked in, about enough is the opportunity cost. It's not just can I have my money in case I need to spend it? It's that when I choose to invest my money in a specific investment, it means I'm also saying no to so many other different investments. And this is why we talk at nauseum about making sure that you are demanding the returns that you deserve, that based off of what the evidence says, where the sources of returns come from, you should really be looking at not only is this a good investment in isolation, but comparatively to what else is available to me, you know, I'm not going to be able to defo- deploy my capital in that in that way. And so I just love to hear your thoughts of how you think through opportunity cost and, and where to place your money. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, Eric. And I think the other part of this, right, is like you said, if you have patient capital, if you can match your long term needs for capital and you're willing to go into these asset classes, you're typically going to be at least have the expectation of higher higher return. It's in big part, right? David Swenson, the famous manager from Yale's endowment, uh, he understood this, right? And he brought this into the asset allocation of Yale's endowment. And I mean, they were rewarded handsomely for participating in private equity and venture capital specifically. And so, you know, when you're looking at time horizons as such, if you're looking at multi-generational wealth, I think there's an extreme strong argument because you have the ability to tie up your capital for a, a good bit of time. And so, you know, I think this is definitely something that people, if you have a good understanding, you put it in the right place, right? It, it works really well. You know, the other part is so many people miss the mark here. I think they they think of real estate and they think that there is no, or even, you know, other asset class, they think there's no volatility. They look in their publicly traded accounts, they see it go up and down, it feels like a roller coaster. With with these other assets, right, uh, you don't see the value most often in these in these illiquid assets. And so you feel like they're safer. They're no more safer. It's just you know, you're not having somebody walk up to your real estate project on a daily basis and present you with an offer. If they did, you'd probably see this same type of 
of up and down, right? Um, so I think there is there's additional benefits, certainly behaviorally, to the to the illiquidity side of the portfolio. And then I think another good thing for people to keep in mind is when you start to see traditionally illiquid asset classes, real estate, private equity, venture capital, and people are offering more liquid options. There are things in our world called interval funds. If there's these big institutions that are coming and saying, hey, we can give you quarterly redemptions and this and that, you have to turn on your brain and go, hey, wait a minute, this is a long-term asset class. How are you giving me that liquidity? How are you giving me access to my capital on those intervals? And the the answer is usually there's a trade-off, right? Um, you're either getting less quality of an asset or um, there's there's some sort of you know mechanism that is certainly affecting your expected return at the end of the day. You bring up so many helpful and great points there of understanding what we're investing in and what true risk is, right? We define for our multi-generational families, risk is really the permanent loss of capital, not short-term up and down of just the temporary valuation of, of the asset. And so one of the things that's a head scratcher a lot of times is uh, I made the comment with a client the other day that, you know, the public stock market historically is actually a, a very safe place to deploy your capital because what we know is that over the long term, that if I buy pieces and ownership of companies that I can diversify across the globe, across 10,000 companies, that over time, I'm going to get the public market return, right? I'm going to get the market premium return. And we dove into that conversation because a lot of times I think we're fearful of just the market as if it's this black box. I mean, you're buying pieces of companies over a very long time. It's actually one of the safest ways to grow your wealth, the public stock market. On the flip side, we had talked about investment real estate. And what happens a lot of times is a client might feel more comfortable saying, hey, I just want to buy a single property that I want to rent out or even a single piece of land that I believe is going to grow in value over time. We love this analogy is if you're on two elevators, if you've got a shot that you've got to go up 100 floors and there's two elevators that you've got to go on, one of them's held by only one cable. And the other one's got five cables attached to the elevator. My question is, which one would you feel most comfortable in if one of those cables broke? Clearly, we would all say, hey, I want to be in the elevator that has five. Good. It's got the fail safe that if one of them goes out, we're all right. Yet when it comes to investing, sometimes just because I, th there's this physical building that I can see with my eyes, I deem that as safer than actually deploying my money into multiple businesses in a very public way. And so I think one of the takeaways we hope that you have today is really redefining what does risk mean to you? Is it just short-term fluctuation or is it the permanent loss of capital? Yeah, I think those are fantastic points, Eric. I think, you know, really orienting yourself on that expected return. What what should you expect if you're if you're tying up your capital? Uh, anytime that you have an asset class that is a longer term type investment and you have liquidity to it, you know, ask what you may be giving up. Um, and, you know, with that kind of mindset, I think you'll end up in a good spot to make sure that it all comes back to the financial structure, which we've hit on so many times. But 
when you have your priorities laid out, you can start to match up the assets that you should be invested in. And if you happen to have your essential and your important priorities, and quite frankly, your discretionary priorities really accomplished, then yes, absolutely. You know, finding some illiquidity, some of this illiquidity premium, some of these assets that are going to take time to grow, you should be allocated there. But, um, you know, don't put the cart before the horse. Make sure you understand it. Make sure you understand what you should expect in a return. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to end it in is, is just understand what you're investing in, understand what your expectations are. We say it time and time again that you've worked so hard for this money that we just want you to learn how to invest like a pro so you can capture the returns that you deserve and also not put your priorities at risk because at the end of the day, money is just a tool. It's a tool to be used to accomplish your priorities and have the impact on the people and the causes that are most important to you. And so head over to awminsights.com. You can access all of this in the show notes. And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.